0: Uh, ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful for your patience with our minds and with our lives as we submit them to you, to our understanding, to growing in grace. We'd ask that you would um, bring greater righteousness each day into our lives. In your son's name, amen. Okay. Obviously, when you go to, when you go to Italy, the women all go, oh. like, it's like it's a romantic spot, you know. We watched gondolas on the canals of Venice. Leslie said, I don't want to go in those. So, we didn't go in those. Um, food wasn't that great. I know I, I, know I offend. Um, but, it, i am meditating on it. While I was there, I was meditating on it, because at one spot, our last hotel was actually, if you're familiar with Roman history at all, was Agrippina's Summer Villa. It had become a monastery, it had become an orphanage, it had become a conservatory for music, but it had been Agrippina's... Um, Agrippina... Quit that. Is it Livy? <laughs> Livy Loveless? I'm so sorry! <laughs> Can you say that again i record recording Ah, the modern world. This didn't happen in Italy. The churches are more sacred there. But Agrippina was Nero's mother. And uh, the kind of woman that would have raised Nero. And the only good thing that Nero ever did was kill his mother. She was that bad. But we stayed in her summer house. It looked a lot better than in the Roman times. But as I was thinking about various things you start to encounter. You know, when we first got there, we, we did a death march. You know, we always, it was always a death march for grandfather who was staggering around behind. Off to the Colosseum and the Arch Constantine, the, the Forum. Back to the hotel, running for the train. Off to Florence, into the Renaissance. You know, then Brunelleschi's dome at the Cathedral of the Duomo um, in uh, Florence. And then, of course, seeing the David in Florence, which was done by Michelangelo in his 20s. You know, just remarkable, remarkable. You can't, you can't remarkable enough about it. I took a picture. I don't take pictures. I took a picture. Um, and then after Venice, we headed back to Rome to do some more things, which was we are planning to see the Vatican, the Sistine ceiling, uh, the Basilica. And so on our last full day there, um, no, the day before, we on a train back from Venice, we got in about one, and we had a couple hours, and then we had an appointment at the, uh, with the Pope. I was interviewing for a job. No, we, we had an appointment at the museum to get in, and another death march. We got in another death march, and we finally walked into the Sistine Chapel, another Michelangelo moment. And I have plans for the Women's Fellowship. I don't know if the Women's Fellowship will like this, but there's that one bit of the ceiling that is the Libyan Sybil. And you gotta use it as your um, your logo for your Women's Fellowship. Um, this is startling, startling, and exhausted exhausted had just been through you know you know my view of the roman church okay it's not high it's not even saved you know? and so i'm here i am marching frog marching through a wide corridor with sweaty tourists you know down long hundreds of yards of hall pushed into a narrow dog-legged staircase one person going down it and it projects you out into the Sistine Chapel. And then you're stunned by what you're seeing. Just stunned. You just can't look at it enough. Finally you have to leave. You have to go. I wanted to get over to the St. Peter's Square. It was in between us and our hotel. So back we went and stepped through the colonnade into the the square which isn't square. Um, And again, you're just you couldn't believe. Michelangelo had designed St. Peter's, so it was a big Michelangelo trip. St. Peter's, and it, it, you just you couldn't stare. The, the, the columns, and there were hundreds, all of them were probably, you know, four men six foot tall could not reach around each column. And a beautiful, beautiful basilica. And of course, the sun was setting behind the dome I took a picture of that too. Didn't take any selfies. Though we were offered by many Italians the purchase of a selfie stick, uh, we rejected them all. So I had to be thinking about this. The next day, I had an afternoon. I was sitting outside Agrippina's summer villa, in the sun, smoking cigars. Oh, by the way, I fell on my face in Florence. Uh, Broke my glasses, twisted my hand. Um, I'll be seeing Dave on Thursday (laughs) to restore my um, adjusted vision. You need to know that because the rumor is going to get out and I I needed to tell you myself. Um, I was smoking a cigar on the terrace at Agrippina's Villa. Um, I don't think they knew she was wicked because they were telling us about this, like it was a point of pride. And you walk in the front door of this hotel, and there is a bust, face this big, stone on the wall, of Agrippina. That's what you walk into. Their password for their Wi-Fi was Agrippina. They were featuring, it's of the flaw, it was a feature that this wicked woman was. It's like saying, Jezebel, we're gonna put her name up. They they were nice people, but I was sitting there, a beautiful sun coming through, clouds tumbling by, the Vatican within a stone's throw, which I was tempted. (laughs) I had been to the belly of the beast, I had come back. But I was meditating on it, writing down some notes, and I said, boy, history will not allow a greater assault on the claim of being the true church than from. You could never outdo them in what they just thrust at you. They've got two thousand years. They have got the best looking church in history, designed by the greatest artist in history. You won't ever get that. You'll get some architect from, you know, I don't know, Torrance, California to design your church, it'll be some modern ab- abomination. This was almost perfection. Um, so been a, the beauty is undeniable. You'll never reach that level again. You'll never reach the duration again. The number of converts. My gosh, we were, the reason we were frog-marched is because the corridor was maybe almost as wide as this chancel, and it was solid people Back to your nose to the back of their head moving along in half steps hundreds of yards and all of them had paid money there are just lines everywhere all of the devoted people tourist groups young priests running all over the place intellectual history I mean some big names out there some chops the passion you you just see the 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 You're overwhelmed by what you've seen. You see down all these halls all this, you hear the phrase despoiling the Egyptians. I mean, if if Rome hadn't done that, I mean, out in the middle of St. Peter's Square is an obelisk despoiled from the Egyptians. They had them all over town. You will never reach that level of assault. You will never make those kind of achievements The things of this world are extensively beloved in that world, and you can't deny it. I mean, it took our breath away. But when the priest came into the Sistine Chapel, trying to get all these tourists to quit talking, and said a prayer, I stood there and looked at him and didn't bow my head. Because that building and that amazement and that duration had everything to prove that it was the true church except for the gospel of Jesus Christ and except for the holiness that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's one long history of horror. One long history of terrible, terrible sin. So as I was thinking about this passage came up to me, on top of the right hand side of your page, Matthew 24 Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple and he answered them, you see all these do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down I've given you the Mark and Luke accounts as well because the wording is a little different. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Luke says, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. The Lord's looking at this. Herod's temple, which he's looking at, is another great, magnificent, magnificent thing. We will never see it because not one stone is left upon another. And I'm not predicting that for the Vatican. This is not saying the word of the Lord came to me saying not one stone will be left upon another. It might last till the end of days. But I, want, I wanted my meditations on it was trying to push our own mind someplace. Because remember, when Christ is looking at the temple in Jerusalem, he is looking at the temple of God he admits it. Zeal for his house consumed him. Because Herod built it, didn't make it not the temple. And it replaced Ezra's temple, which had replaced Solomon's temple, which had replaced the tabernacle. And so it's not a matter of whether it doesn't have real, true connection to what we believe to be sacred. Because look, Matthew 23 on the left-hand side. I'm going to just read through it. we we'll see the Lord's concerns. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without rejecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat, swallowing a camel, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and of the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, You brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zachariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The next verse is Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to him with a tourist brochure. Look at the beautiful buildings, Jesus. He has just looked at the Pharisees and the scribes and said, this is all performance. It's all pretension. It's all honoring the great thing. There's nothing quite like the end wall of the Sistine ceiling, which is the last judgment, and Jesus Christ, not looking like any Jesus you've ever seen. Not only is he Michelangelo muscular, but he's got no beard and long hair. He's more of a Greek Apollo-like God. Judging the world. It's Christocentric. Above, along the the pinnacle of of the Basilica, there's the centerpiece of Christ with his cross there's 12 disciples on either side of him it's beautiful it points to the right thing beautifully pointing to it but the Lord seemed to be concerned that even though these guys were pointing at the right thing and beautifying it they were tombs because something wasn't there and if we're taken up by the beauty of things like that, and if I don't keep my categories straight, because beauty is not truth, and and beauty is not goodness, beauty is beauty. Any but young man here who's found himself smitten by the worst girl in high school um, because she's beautiful can wants to believe that she's also godly, because of course she is. She's gorgeous. And every woman in the class is going, yeah, you don't know this. We're mistaken. We confuse them. What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, to push us through this idea, it's it's not I'm not trying to just I was amazed at the Vatican. I have a dim view of its spirituality. That said, prompted these thoughts that we need to remember what Christianity is because people believing every worldly signal would believe that that is Christianity. Far more successful, say, than All Souls Christian Church with 60 people in a room and a white clapboard siding and not even stained glass. The only stain the glass has is age. We're not just in that mindset. We need to understand what our faith really is. Because back in Chronicles, the next passage under that Luke uh, passage, 2 Chronicles 2, 4, this is Solomon writing to Hiram of Tyre about the building of the temple. And he says, Behold, I'm about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God and dedicate it to him for the burning of incense and sweet spices before him and for the continual offering of the showbread and for burnt offerings, morning and evening, on the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the appointed feasts of the Lord our God, as ordained forever for Israel. The house which I am, about, am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. This is the important fact. But who is able to build him a house, since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him? except as a place to burn incense before him even when the first temple was being built the wise man who built it said you know this is a little out of line it's really just a house for my operative act of burning incense or whatever the other things make the offerings it's, it's not like all other temples which are houses of the God that's what a temple is Christians don't claim that their church buildings are temples because they're assemblies. They're not houses for the God where a sacred place where the God's idol is propped up. Solomon knew it wasn't a temple in that regard, that heaven could not contain, even the highest heaven could not contain God. we know when we, when we begin to realize that these things are constantly offering and necessary to be offered. You have to have a building. Just like you have to have a place, a home, a roof over your, your head to sleep in, to, 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 to protect yourself from the weather, so you might as well make it look nice. You might as well enjoy the, the, the talents of an architect and see what he can do with your home. Same is true with, you know, we have a nice building here. Very appreciative. But we need to know that every one of those steps, every one of those places along the way that you must do, you must have a place to meet, the assembly of the church gets together. At one point it was house to house. Another point it was renting the Hall of Tyrannus. Eventually, the basilicas that we were seeing left and right in Rome were old Roman justice halls matter of fact we wouldn't see the pantheon because it was the pantheon not because it was a church it had been a Roman you know temple to all the gods the pantheos right the, uh, it is now to the martyrs or some certain martyrs I'm not sure which but still wonderful to walk in but it's now a church that's what the, as, as the Christians got together in Roman justice halls or basilicas, and that became the standard form for a church. These things happen. You've got to have a roof. You've got to have the heat on. Do we know, as we walk through this world, all of it, the, the desires of this world, the things of the world, you were told in 1 John you could not love. Do not love the world Or the things in the world. For the things in the world are plain. And sometimes they come up right and address you in your church building. They come up and address you in your home. You have to do something. You have to either not comb your hair or comb your hair. Which bit of pride or vanity you're going to do. You're either going to vacuum the carpet in the church or you're not going to vacuum the carpet in the church. In a sense, we have to have a place to burn incense to him, but we have to keep in our minds what Solomon thought about the temple. Our God cannot be, you might say, contained. um, St. Paul says this in Acts, somewhere, 17. Where is Acts in the Bible? Uh, Acts 17 the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, notice how he's saying the same thing Solomon thought, does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. So the Solomonic view and the Pauline view are the same. He does not need that but we're so entranced with making a beautiful thing. We're kind of like that myth of uh, Pygmalion and Galatea, is that what her name was? Um, making um, a statue the, the sculptor fell in love with. He made such a. And having seen the David, you entirely believe that this is possible. We fall in love with the wonder of our own creation. We think this is adequate religion. And another place in, I think in a little bit later in Chronicles, in chapter six of Second Chronicles, where the longer prayer of dedication of Solomon following the same idea that I, this, I can't contain my God in this. Um, basically says that, that the earth cannot contain. How could God be represented on earth? But I want to remind you that we're Christians and we we are not left without that knowledge. John 14 says in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we shall be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. We're moving, we're not moving from peasant-like middle-ages Uninformed individual, doesn't know, doesn't have any hope or God in the world, wandering into Rome and being greeted by St. Peter's Basilica and the fancy, fancy services. Who's moving from not knowing to only encountering this, amazed at it. You are Christians who were supposed to be amazed by having known Christ. Christ. You know, I, no longer am I trying to cobble together a pile of stones to contain my God. Even the guys who did the first temple didn't think that was possible. Why would I get caught up in that? Are we like Philip, and we, we need something obvious? He said, No, you, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ is God. It says that on our logo on the front of its church. Jesus Dominus Est. Jesus is Lord. That's what we are as Christians. And what we're claiming is there's something else going on that seems when Christ is talking to the Pharisees, it's going, you guys are, are just decorating things. Do you have a religion that's just decorating an, a, a non involved faith? A non-righteous faith where your holiness is no longer a concern. Your belief in the gospel you don't even really think about. Are you just doing religious things because you know that's what religious people do and it looks good and it makes for a beautiful sense of your life? We have met the Christ. How can we say, show us the Father? How can we be satisfied with better ceilings. Oh man, you can you can be if you want to just think in terms of the art of it, you know, you can find yourself weeping. I didn't weep, but you could find yourself weeping if you're just judging beauty. In Ephesians two says, but now in Christ Jesus, remember Christ has told Philip, me, I am the father, you've seen me you've seen the father, I've said only what the father gave me to say where else are you going with this? Earth contained God, God what? In Palestine for 37 years But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made us both one. He's speaking of the Jew and Gentile. Made us both one. And has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. This is what this all what, what, what funnels you into Christ is a different thing altogether. You saw how the Jews reacted with the temple. once they, if they thought a Gentile had been brought in, they rioted. People would die. You saw how the Ephesians thought about the temple of Artemis, Great as Artemis of the Ephesians, throwing dust in the air and wanting to hurt somebody. People who believe they're building, the beauties of their religion, the decorations they add to it are what is important. They they stopped thinking about holiness a long time ago. They don't care if they kill somebody now. It's not like we're here for holiness. We're not here for righteousness. We're here for our group and our truth. So you have to die. Killing the prophets, that was enough When God judged Jerusalem, they were held accountable for all the blood from righteous Abel to Zechariah. All those killed that were sanctified, the Jews were blamed for, and God's temple that God designed got destroyed, not one stone left on another. Because that's not what he is about. That was just a place to burn incense. A place to offer the sacrifices. A place here, you gather together to sing hymns to God so that you all end up at the same spot on Sunday morning. Enough of you to sing together. Those things, when they don't find their way to Christ and righteousness, if they don't find their way to God and righteousness, are just, a uh, well, that's what apostasy would be. You are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Remember I said that about St. Peter's? Scott, the 12 disciples, statues up on the top, Jesus Christ in the middle. What more do you want? We decorated it just like uh, the Bible. Well, what is he talking about? He's not talking about putting a statue or making a block that has Jesus Christ's name written in it and making it the literal cornerstone of your church building. You are fellow citizens. You are members of the household. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You can't compete with antiquity. They got a lead, and they had Mark Michelangelo on retainer. You'll never see his like again. So don't hope you can compete with that. And don't go to war with that kind of thing. Like you're going to make a better church than they have serving the interests of man and his most base urges the way they do you're supposed to be about something else you're being built on the apostles, prophets and the Christ in you, that you are built into a temple a holy temple (coughs) so what I wanted to sort of end with again like I said just in case anybody wonders I have a dim view of Roman Catholicism I don't think they preach the gospel. I think they've led many people astray. I think they've been the most decorative element in Christian history. But they aren't Christianity. But my point is not that. Because you so easily, so easily could base any kind of ministry in thumbing your nose at something else and someone else who did it wrong. It's not sufficient for you. It's not like I've become a a definite solid Christian. If I can say of Rome, it is not real Christianity. That's that's not what we're about. It might not be real Christianity. But you're not being asked to say that. You're being asked to point at yourself and say this is real Christianity. Christianity. Because until you point at yourself and say this is real Christianity where you step forward and say I have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ by his grace into the holiness that the Lord requires both by forgiveness and both by, and, and along with uh, training in righteousness. You have been made what God wants to have on earth serving him as a temple. You are the holy temple you are built. You say, where, you know, how do I know where I'm supposed to be? Well, we're there where, where the apostles and the prophets and the Christ are ministered. You are built on the foundation of those. It's joined together, it grows, but that's the kind of thing you ought to be able to do. It's not so much that you point at anyone else and say, that's not it. You need to be able to point at yourself and say confidently to the non believer you know, this is it. This is what you want. Where are you in your walk? Are you able to say to a non believer, My life, you want. You wish you could be like me. By the grace of God, you wish. What did, didn't Paul say that in Acts when he's before Agrippa? Paul, in a short while, you seek to, think to make me a Christian? He says, Except for these chains, yeah. Except for these chains, I wish you were. I wish everybody was. Do you have that? Do you understand that's what God has done? He could be in chains, in jail, but he knows he's the temple of the living God. Because the temple of the living God serves God in righteousness. It serves the gospel. When you look at something, you want to say, is the gospel there, the saving message? And two, is the righteousness that is produced by the gospel believed is it there? And that's what you want to check on yourself in. A little less, you know, let somebody else take care of Rome. You've got you. You've got the apostles. You've got the prophets. You've the Christ. Do you have Christianity as it really supposed to be? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful that your, your grace has been poured out to us in your Son. We'd ask that we would find it and not decorate hidden sins with artificial holiness, but that we would be made holy. That our company, the gathering of the saints here, other places in town, Lord, would be drawn to that holiness, and that we'd be confident of the message and the faith we preach. In your Son's name, amen.